0: In the 1800s out west, gold was being discovered. And also during that time, unscrupulous prospectors came along, and they would sell what appeared to be gold, but really wasn't. It was basically just a base material. So a test was developed to determine whether gold was genuine or not, and it was called the acid test. You would take what you thought was gold, you'd rub it against a black stone, and it would leave a mark, and then you would put on that mark, you would put some nitric acid. Because nitric acid will remove anything quickly, dissolve anything quickly that is not gold. So if the mark is left, that meant that the gold was pure. And it became known as the acid test. And so it got me to thinking is there an acid test? For faith is there something that can test whether your faith is genuine or if you just come to church how do you know we've been looking at narratives from the kings of Israel the last three weeks and we will through the month of September We looked at David and Mephibosheth, and then we saw the story of Jeroboam and the young man of God who came from Judah to encounter him. And last Sunday, we saw King Ahab and Naboth's vineyard. This morning, we're going to learn about what genuine faith looks like from a woman who lived in a tiny little village in northern Israel. The name of the village is Shunem, and the woman's name, well, we're never told. She's just the woman of Shunem. But she teaches us a lot about what genuine faith really looks like. Read with me chapter 4, verse 24. Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, Urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with your child? And she answered, All is well. Let's look at her story. This morning our story unfolds in three acts. Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3. And our story begins in Act 1 with godly hospitality from verses 8 to 17. Here's where our story picks up. It begins in northern Israel in a little community there called Shunem. Shunem goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It really wasn't that important of a city. It's only mentioned twice. This woman is from there, and another woman is from there who was a servant of David, but not really a major Bible, just a little community. Northern Israel up around the mountains. In fact, Shunem is still there today. It's a, it's a community, it's an Arab community, mostly Muslim, uh, called Sulam. Same community. About 2,600 population today. It's on the slope of Mount Moray, and it's on the about seven miles from, from Naboth's vineyard we looked at last week in Jezreel, about seven miles up the road. Here's a picture of Salaam today. You'll see on the left side of the screen there, that's a closer look at some of the buildings there of Salam, which used to be a Shunem. And you'll see then the overall picture from the view of Mount Moray that's looking down the valley of Jezreel and the little community there. The Bible tells us that it was in this small community in the book of Kings that there was a woman and her husband living in a home. They were very wealthy. They had a lot of money. And the wife, more so than the husband, but the wife really loved Yahweh, the God of Israel, and wanted to serve him. God's main spokesman was a prophet by the name of Elisha. Elisha lived 25 miles to the north of Shunem in a place called Mount Carmel. So whenever he left Carmel, he would go through Shunem anywhere he went pretty well throughout all of Israel. So the woman and her husband decided, we want to do good things for Elisha because he is a man of God. So every time he would pass through Shunem, they would invite him to eat with them. So they would have a meal, and they would all eat together, and, and Elisha would eat with them, and then he would go on to his next location. The Bible tells us that she was a wealthy woman. Uh, we assume wealthy. The word gadol in Hebrew is used, which means great. It could mean wealthy. It could also just mean very uh, outstanding or very well-known. Most likely she, she had a lot of possessions because of what she did next. So probably... A very wealthy woman who loved God, wanted to be involved in his work. One time after Elisha had eaten with him, she turns to her husband when Elisha left and she said, you know, honey, he really is a man of God. We need to do something for him. What can we do? I don't know. But you're right. I agree. He he is a man of God. What can we do? She said, how about why don't we build onto our house and make him a room? That way, whenever he comes through here on his way somewhere else, he can spend the night if he needs a place to stay. We're always feeding him meals anyway. Let's just build a room. So let's go on top of the house and build on the roof. Now, roofs in those days were not pitched like ours. It'd be hard to build a room on the side of a pitched roof, but they were flat. So her suggestion was, let's on top of this flat roof, build a building, a little room, put walls around it, and furnish it, and Elisha can come through and stay here on his way somewhere else. Husband said, that's a great idea. So they built the extra room onto their house for Elisha, the man of God. Now, I noticed a couple of things. One of the things I noticed was, this was kind of odd, because Carmel and Shunem, Carmel's where Elisha's from, in Shenem they're not that far apart 25 miles it's not really it's not like you really need to travel 25 miles and have to say stay, stay for the night and that's one thing that's kind of odd but she wanted to do something also anytime especially in the Old Testament this is the way Hebrew literature works Hebrew literature is not prone to details so anytime you read a passage and it has minute details in there. They're in there for a reason. They're trying to tell you something. So it tells us in this passage, they built the room. They put walls around it. They furnished it with, it tells us, details. A table, a bed, a chair, a lamp. Why is it telling us all of these details? Most Bible scholars believe the reason is it's showing us the extreme care that the woman and the man went to try to provide for the man of God. They wanted to be involved in God's work. So here is the first acid test of faith. If your faith is genuine, you love being involved in what God's doing. If your faith is not genuine, you don't really care. Genuine faith looks at what God's doing, wants to be involved in God's work, spends money to be involved in God's work, participates in God's work. They love to see Yahweh, the God of Israel, working around the world. But those that faith is not genuine, you don't really care. So, how about you? This woman cared. Also, another thing you notice about the woman, is I, as I noticed as I was looking at the passage, of course, she was very generous. She wasn't self seeking. She's very contented with life, strong in her faith. God was real to her. But, but I noticed a couple of other things. One of the things at the time in the history of Israel, that the story is written. Not very many people followed God. It was a very decadent time of kingship. So there weren't many believers. And this one woman stood out for her faith during a time when there weren't many other believers. Most everybody was involved in politics during this time. Now, I know that doesn't sound familiar to you today, but most people then were involved in politics, and politics were divisive, and everybody was involved in the politics of Israel. And here was a woman that said, I don't care about politics. I love God. I want to serve Him. So a good test of your faith is what's more important to you. God or the politics of the day. Something else about the woman, it seemed to be her faith, not her husband's, that was the strong faith of the family. Very unusual for that day. It was a patriarchal society, not a matriarchal one. So the women's faith really didn't stand out, but hers did. Most Bible scholars believe her husband was just, he was a worshiper of God, but it was very formal for him. He would go do his duty, and he would go to worship, and and that was about it. But for the woman, it was different. It was daily faith. So, Elisha stopped in, and they showed him to the new room, and he said, thank you so much. That's so wonderful of you two to, to, to house us. He had an assistant named Gehazi. Gehazi and I thank you for being so gracious. And so, they, they welcomed him to the room, and they left, and Gehazi and Elisha are in the upstairs room, And Elisha says, you know, Gehazi, they've been so gracious to us. What can we do for them? He said, I don't know. He said, why don't we go to the king of Israel and speak for her? We have a hearing with him, and she doesn't, and she doesn't need material possessions. They're wealthy, but... But maybe the king could do something, or maybe the commander of the army could do something. Maybe let's go to the commander of the army. Maybe they could give her some land or, I don't know, something. Call her in here. So, up, ma'am, come here. We, we have a question for you. So, the woman went upstairs. And Elisha said, ma'am, you've been so generous to us and gracious every time we come through here. What can we do for you? Maybe I can go to the king on your behalf, or, or maybe the commander of an army. I know you don't need much, but, but is there something we can do for you? And she replied, I dwell among my own people. It's her way of saying, I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. God's taking care of me. I'm not involved in the politics of the day back in Jerusalem. I, I just live among my people, and everything's fine. But thank you anyway. And she left. Elisha turned to Gehazi and said, there's got to be something we can do. I know she doesn't need material things, but there's got to be something we can do. And Gehazi said, I have an idea. She has no children. What if we prayed to God and asked Him to give her a son? Gehazi That is a great idea. She doesn't really need anything else, but she has no child, and and her her husband's old. Now, we don't know how old the the woman was. Rabbinic tradition, which is not Scripture, says she was over 100. There's really nothing in this text that points to the fact that she was an old woman. Her husband was old, we're told, not about her. That's a good idea. Let's, let's call her in again. So, I called her back, and she came back, and Elisha said, um, Ma'am, we're going to pray for you. She said, Wonderful. And we're going to pray that God will give you a son, because you don't have any, that he'll bless you. And we'll pray that this time next year, you will be standing in that doorway holding a baby. And she said, whoa, 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 hold up. hold hold on, man of God. Hold up just a minute. Don't lie to me. Do not deceive me, man of God. I've been disappointed way too many times wanting a child. Don't lie to me. He says, I'm not. I'm going to pray God will give you a child this time next year. The Bible tells us that she conceived. And the next spring, he came back to visit, and she's holding a little baby in her arms, standing in the doorway. She had been faithful to God's servants and God's work, and God had been faithful to her. But let's go to Act 2. Act 2, tremendous grief, verses 18 to 37. Several years have passed now by the time we get to Act 2, and the little baby that she's holding is no longer a baby. Now he's, now he's a child. And he's out working with his dad in the field, and they're reaping the harvest. Now, harvest time in Israel is hot. I know you don't know anything about being hot, but it's really hot there. And and even today, harvest time in Israel is really hot. So they're out reaping the harvest, and the little boy all of a sudden says, Daddy, Daddy, my head, my head hurts. Oh. He said, What is it? My head. Ah. And he collapsed. Most Bible scholars believe probably a heat stroke. The dad scooped up the son, carried him into where his mother was sitting, and laid him down, His son he's collapsed, laid him in her lap, and she held him in her lap until noon, and at noon, the boy died. The woman of Shunem did something strange next she took the boys lifeless body and she carried him and didn't place him to be buried they usually buried the day of the death there was no really embalming hot weather they usually buried the day of so rather than getting him ready for burial or taking him to his room or laying him somewhere she took his body and she carried him up the stairs to the room they had built for elisha and she laid him on elisha's bed and shut the door and left. Why would she take him there? It's almost as if rather than getting him ready for a burial, she's getting him ready for a resurrection. And she left. And as she's walking down the stairs, something probably crosses her mind. You know, I I remember... I remember a story about 12 chapters ago. There was a, Elijah, the forerunner of Elisha, his mentor, was up in Zarephath, which is up near Lebanon. And there was a widow there whose son died, and Elijah begged God to bring him back, and he brought him back alive. I wonder, I just wonder, could Elisha do that? And would God do that? So she went to her husband. She said, honey, I'm going to um, saddle the donkeys and get my servants and need to run up to Mount Carmel. To, I want to see the man of God. He said, why? It's not new moon. It's not Sabbath. He's not going to see you. He, he only works on holy days. He's not going to see you. Is everything okay? She said, all is well. So she went outside and she got the um, servants. She gathered the donkeys together and she told the servant, now let's go straight to Mount Carmel, 25 miles. Let's go fast. Don't stop for anything unless I tell you to stop. He said, let's go. They took off, fast as they could, 25 miles up to Mount Carmel to see Elisha, the man of God. As they approach Mount Carmel, Gehazi looks and says, Elisha, I think it's the woman of Shunem. What's she doing here? He said, I don't know. Why don't you go see? So Gehazi went to meet her and he said, ma'am, you're you're the woman of of Shunem. Is, Is everything okay? She said, all is well. What about your husband, your child? Is everything okay? She said, All is well. There had to be a rush of emotion. Her child just died. She said, I want to see the man of God. Okay. So she goes on to Elisha, she gets off of her donkey, she falls at Elisha's feet and she grabs him around the ankles and Gehazi goes, hey, 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 hey! he's he's a man of God, leave him alone. Which is what the disciples did when the children came to Jesus. And he said, Gehazi, it's okay, it's okay, she's in bitter distress, something's wrong and God has not revealed to me what it is. Let's hear from her. And she looks up holding his ankles and she says, Man of God, I told you don't lie to me. I told you not to deceive me my child is dead I didn't ask for a child I didn't ask for this and you know folks sometimes bad things happen to good people sometimes things happen to you you don't ask for but God's still in control And your response during those times shows whether your faith is real or not. Sometimes your faith is proven genuine through grief. Elisha said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. Gehazi, come here, quick, hurry. I want you to tuck your your skirt up into your belt. Now, they wore longer skirts. It was so hot and dirty there. They wore longer skirts, but whenever you wanted to get somewhere fast and run, you girded up your loins, what they call it. You take your skirt and put it in your belt so you could run faster. Gehazi, get your skirt, put it up in your belt. Quickly run as fast as you can. Back to Shunem. Here's my staff. This staff that I have held has worked miracle after miracle after miracle. Take this staff. There's power in it. And when you get there and you see that little boy dead in the room, you lay that staff across his face let it sit there. And let's see if he comes back to life. Go, fast, hurry. So Gehazi took off. He said, the woman and I will meet you there. So they all left the 25 miles back to Shanim. As... Elisha and the woman are nearing Gehazi's on his way back. He gets back to them and they say, Well, did it work? Is the boy alive? And Gehazi said, Elisha, it, it didn't work. The boy's still dead. Hit the pause button just for a moment in the story. There's a lesson for us. Don't trust the forms God works through trust god don't trust the staff the staff god used the staff of moses and waters parted and plagues happened and and but don't trust the form trust god i've seen people before get crosses little crosses and hold on to them and kiss them and hold on to them hold them close to their heart I've seen people like the cross necklace on airplanes. They'll hold that cross necklace and they'll kiss it, hoping the plane is, the flight doesn't crash. And don't, the, the, these mean nothing. It's the God behind them that's powerful. You know what else can be a form? Church. Let's go to church because things are bad in life. It's not this building that's going to change you. It's the God of this building that can change you. He's the power. This is just structure. Don't trust forms. They're powerless. Trust the God of the forms. Sorry, Elisha didn't work. He said, let's keep going. So they got to Shunem, they went upstairs, and Elisha said, you, you two, you stay out here. I'm going in here. I'm going into the room by myself. Now, why did Elisha walk into the room by himself? We don't know. There are some theologians that say, Well, there was a, there was a superstition around in those days that for three days after a person died, their spirit hovered over the room trying to re enter the body. And that's why Jesus waited four days for Lazarus, just to let everybody know what in the spirit it was that true resurrection or resuscitation. But anyway, I don't think that was it. You see a lot of miracles that Elisha did that were private. they weren't public, they were private. So he went upstairs, he shut the door, and the dead boy is lying there on the bed. And he walked up, and he began to beg God, God. Please, I beg you, give life to this boy again. You gave life the first time I prayed and asked you to bring life to this woman, and now would you give him life again? He begged him. Hold on for a second. Some Bible scholars believe this is a picture of what was happening in Israel. God had given Israel life they had wandered around. Their faith was dead. And i started praying, God, bring faith life back to your country. Maybe. God, please bring life to this boy. And when he finished praying, he did something odd. He laid on top of the boy. He matched wherever his arm was. He put his arm He mirrored with the boy's legs, nose to nose, eye to eye, mouth to mouth. It wasn't resuscitation. He just laid there on top of the boy so the power of God could go from him into the boy. And the Bible said the boy's body began to get warm. But it stopped. So Elisha got off of the boy and started pacing back and forth in the room. The Bible says, pacing back and forth. Oh dear God, bring life to him, bring life. He's warming up, bring life. And he did it again. He laid down and stretched out over the boy, arm to arm, leg to leg, nose to nose, eye to eye, mouth to mouth. And he laid there and all of a sudden the boy's eyes popped open according to Scripture. And Elisha got off and the boy raised up and sneezed seven times. Significant. In the ancient Near East, sneezing was a sign of life, and seven was the number of God. It was a picture that life had come back from the deity. God had given life again. The woman heard the sneezing, and so she opened the door, she ran in, and her son was alive, and she hugged him, and she received her son back. And all through grief, her faith had stayed strong. And that's a sign of your genuine faith. Folks, I've seen some people, they come to church, they're active, they teach Sunday school, they're deacons. And, and then something happens in their life as a tragedy. And they get mad at God and bitter and angry and quit church. And you never, some aren't here today because of that. But here was a woman whose faith was genuine, that endured grief and stayed strong. I've seen many of you. You've gone through things and your faith has stayed strong, and your response, how everything's going, you say all is well. It's a good test of faith. But the story's not over, Act 3. Complete trust, 2 Kings 8. Four chapters later, something interesting happened. The woman of Shunem, most likely now her husband has died, and it's just her son and her who's left. We know that because women did not conduct business transactions, and what we're about to see in chapter 8 is a woman conducting business transactions, so most assuredly her husband is no longer alive. Now, here's what happened. After Elisha raised her son back to life again, Elisha told her this, Ma'am, you've got to sell everything you have, and you've got to leave. There is about to be a famine hit where you live. God's going to bring judgment. It's called the siege of Samaria, and God is going to bring judgment, and there's going to be a famine. There's going to be no crops, no land nothing oh you can't grow crops it's going it's going to be drought you've got to get out of here to survive so sell everything you have all your possessions all your property you and your family go all the way down to Philistia which is all the way to the other end of the country that's greater rainfall down there even today that area has greater rainfall than the north oh you're not going to make it if you don't So the woman, listen to this, the woman did it. Remember, she's wealthy. She's got a lot. And she sells her ancestral land. She sells all of her possessions. She sells everything she has. And she moves to Philistia because Elisha told her to do it. And sure enough, the famine hit for seven years. That's how they lived. Had they stayed, they couldn't have made it. Let me ask you a question. If God told you to sell everything you have and move to the other part of the country, would you do it? That would be hard, wouldn't it? She did it. Complete trust. Trust. And if you had a lot, if you were one of the wealthiest people in all of our area, would you sell it all? I, I, I might be tempted to say, look, Elisha, we've been through a lot together here, but let's just call it. Let's you go your way, I'll go my way, okay? I'll live for the Lord, and you live for the Lord, and God bless you. But, but she didn't. She, she did it. So whenever she sold everything, she put it into a trust. They had a law back in that day that if you put land and property into a trust and you ever come back, you can appeal to get it back. doesn't mean you're going to, but you can appeal that the government make a decision to give it back to you. So she left for seven years thinking it's all gone. So as chapter 8 opens, she's come back, And she wants to try to get her land and possessions back because the famine's over. You have to go before government officials. Elisha and Gehazi, servants of the king, got her a hearing with the king. So as chapter 8 opens, she's standing before the king wanting her land back. The king looks at her and says, ma'am, tell me your story. Why, Why should you get your land back? She said, well, we we left, and Elisha told us that it's going to be a famine, and we're not going to survive, and so we obeyed and left. The king turned to Gehazi and says, Gehazi, is that true? He said, it is. Tell me her story. Gehazi says, look, she didn't have a child, and she was so generous to us. She's a Yahweh worshiper. She's so generous to us. She didn't have a child. We prayed for a child, and God gave her a child, and then the child died, and Elisha brought the child back again. And, well, he's here. Hang on a second, king. Come here. And the boy walked out. Here he is. Son, is that true? He said, it's true. He said, then you deserve your land back. So he ordered the servants, give this woman all of her land back, all of her possessions, everything she left, restore everything back, and give her seven years' worth of crops. And she got it all back. Sometimes you trust God completely, and it works out. Sometimes you trust, and it doesn't. But God is going to bless your faith and your obedience either way. And here's a woman who had genuine faith, never weakened, and never wavered. We can learn a lot from her. Back in the mid 1800s, there was a man by the name of Henry, Henry Edward Manning, Archbishop of Westminster. He'd been a man of strong faith, He'd active in social causes, and a very prolific writer, wrote a lot on the Christian faith. He went through a time of deep depression and spiritual darkness. He said, I, I think I'm losing my faith. And so what he did, in order to try to get his faith back, he went to a bookstore in London and was going to buy one of his own books. There's was a book he had written over four lectures he had lectured, he would taught, uh, entitled The Grounds of Faith. So he went into the bookstore and he said, yes, I would like to get a copy of Manning's Grounds of Faith. By the way, here's a copy of the book, a picture of it. The Grounds of Faith, four lectures. I'd like to get a copy of The Grounds of Faith. Just a minute. So, a man went out into the warehouse and was coming back. Whenever he came back, Manning's standing there, and the man yelled back at the owner of the bookstore, "Uh, Manning's Grounds of Faith are all gone. And he said, Whenever I heard that, my heart sank. He's talking about the book, but when I heard Manning's grounds of faith are all gone, my spirit was haunted by that. And I turned around and left the bookstore, and I said, oh, dear God, I want my faith in you to be strong. I recommit it to you. I never want my grounds of faith to ever leave. And he stayed strong through the rest of his days. Maybe this morning, even though you're a good church attender, maybe the grounds of your faith are weakening. Learn lessons of what genuine faith looks like. Get involved in what God's doing. Even though grief comes, stay faithful and trust God totally even though you have to give up everything. Good lessons. Father, I want to thank you today for your word and thank you for this passage. Lord, I don't know where we all are here today in our spiritual journey, but I do know that you've spoken this message today And Lord, I just want to pray for those people who do not have genuine faith that this morning will be the time they step out and for the very first time trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their life. God, give them courage to do that. Lord, I want to pray for those who are believers, but they find themselves from time to time not trusting totally or overcome with grief or getting angry and bitter at you, God, because of the way life's turned out. Oh, Father, today I just pray that during this invitation time, you would encourage hearts and spirits. God, help us to make decisions today that are meaningful for you. In Jesus' name, amen.